Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and I am back with Tony and Tripp. Welcome uh, back, guys. How you doing? <laughs> Pretty good. How you doing? It's good to be back here hanging out with you guys and... Uh, you know, I talked to Tony a little bit about uh, a pre-show chat. We were trying to figure out what we wanted to talk about next, and he had this great idea of doing this show about the underground and what that means uh, as far as a music scene goes. Um, because we talk about the underground quite a bit, I think, you know, in whether we're talking about it on the podcast or out at shows or something, about how something has an underground feel versus a mainstream feel. But... I tend to think that not everybody has the same definition of underground. We might all be talking about sort of different things, different feelings, different approaches to what underground music is, what an underground scene is. And so I guess um, I thought this was a really cool suggestion. So I wanted to take this and kind of uh, get your guys' impressions on what you think the underground is, what it means to you. And then I also reached out to some of our listeners to see what they thought um, what they thought that meant to them. So, um, very cool. I'll start with you, Trip. I mean, what do you, when somebody says the underground, when they're talking about, I guess, from the perspective of a scene, what, what adjectives come to your mind? I mean, what, what is the underground? For me, I, if I had to put it into a single word, I would say that, uh, you know, of course, not using the word in the definition of the word, um, I would say either subculture or counterculture, you know, just kind of okay. thinking of things like, you know, when you, when you think of underground, it's, it's, it's the opposite of popular music. It's, it's the opposite of pop pop culture. And so with that in mind, I mean, underground could be anything at that point, but in in context of what we're going for, it's anything to me that kind of is contrasting to what we consider uh, a mainstream music culture. So, um, in, in electronic music, it, that's that's where it was born. You know, it was not in pop pop music. It was you know born from synthesizers, and you know goes. It, all of those things have their place in pop music and 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 pop history, but you know, very we, very punk rock, you might say. Right, <laughs> right, right. But and, and that's kind of what raving was. You know, it was you know um, a place for all the misfits and the weirdos and uh, the nerds and and all of that stuff. And it was a place where we could all feel cool and you know be, not be judged, and, right, and not be judged, and. Uh, you know, so whenever and so on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate that it's become such a, a um, parody of itself. Right. Almost, right. Yeah. But, you know, I can, I can remember a time that, that, that was a, a real valid thing. And when people said it, they meant it. But, um, so that, that's, that's how it feels to me, you know, so, uh, and under that definition, so it could mean, you know, a dirty warehouse rave. It could mean the club down the street that's playing, you know, music that, you know, most people would not, you know, connect with or um, or necessarily relate to. Does an underground scene 
have to be small? Is that in, inherent to the definition? Like, because it's countercultural or subcultural, does that mean it's inherently small or at least smaller than pop culture? I think small is a is a subjective term because I can remember, um, well, we were just talking today uh, with the Gem City podcast and we were talking about the scene here in Dayton, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago where it was it was large by today's standards. But still, when we were pulling two, you know, two to three thousand people for the bigger shows, an average of a thousand to fifteen hundred, you know, at least once a month, if not once every uh, once every two weeks. And you didn't have to spend a hundred thousand dollars on some mainstream artist to right. get those numbers, right? So, but if you take a thousand, fifteen hundred to two thousand people, and then compare that to you know, what you can fit in the Nutter Center or, you know, Hair Arena or, you know, wh- wherever, you know, with insert pop name here, well, then that just pales in comparison. So um, I don't think that a counterculture or subculture or an underground scene necessarily needs to be small to be that. But I think um, in comparison to its opposite, which would be the mainstream culture, I would say, you're, that, that would almost always be the case. You know, now that you, you put it that way, I, kinda, I think I have a pretty good um, parallel that we can kind of draw here, which is to sort of um, nerd culture. So if you think about 10, 20 years ago when geek, nerd, that sort of thing was a negative, that was, you know, pejorative, that was a name you called somebody. Right, <laughs> right. And now, I mean, think about what it is to be a nerd you're you're the guy that gets paid you're the guy that everybody wants to be friends with so underground is pre cool (laughs) (laughs) well i mean think what's what's the number one sitcom on tv is the big bang theory that whole show is built around uh displaying or exploiting depending on your (laughs) definition um geek culture so is that is that even a subculture anymore or is that the mainstream you know so at what point i wonder does an underground scene get get so big that it's no longer underground like what is what is that line that when that corporations start buying in so is so do you think it's a money thing um not necessarily a money thing i mean money kind of comes along with that but it, with anything mainstream because in order for something to reach massive audiences it's got to have the money and the and the push behind it um but to his point i think in order for something underground to make it to a mainstream audience then it needs to be washed a little bit you know what i mean like yeah. it's got to it's got to get the the edges scrubbed off and you got to smooth the stone so to speak so that all the things that make something like super edgy and cool or whatever to this small group of people, you can take the elements that are universal and put them towards um, a newer product that is more consumable by most people. I think that's why people get so paranoid about uh, their their particular style of music or fashion or whatever it is that they're interested in or a piece of art that 
that starts to gain popularity and mm-hmm. then suddenly they don't like it. Is that kind of hip, hipster syndrome, you know, where they oh, yeah. don't, they don't like it anymore because it's gained popularity, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I try not to ascribe to myself because I like, I like to say that good music is good music. I don't care if it's pop or whatever it is. And I try to keep that in my head, but For sure. you know, at the same time, I, I understand why people get a little bit scared because, in order for it to get to a certain level, like you said, you have you have to dilute it a little bit, or you have to you have to make compromises. Right. And um, an underground scene is is kind of uh, diametrically opposed to that. I mean, it's underground because they're giving the middle finger to the establishment. Right. And so, at a certain point, I think when you lose that spirit, then that turns up in the art and suddenly it's uh, perhaps not what it once was. Well, look at the 90s. I mean, the 90s, you know, for at least me, um, was a, a perfect example of that, or at least one that is readily available in my mind, where you had post-punk, whatever that was supposed to be, and you had, you know, groups like Green Day that were taking you know, the roots of punk and then Mm -hmm. turning it into something that was more massively consumable, but still maintaining like, oh yeah, that, you know, where their, their influences came from. Um, or take Seattle grunge, you know, Seattle Mm -hmm. grunge came from, you know, the mud, you know, (laughs) like there was no reason that Seattle grunge should have taken off like it did, but it did. And, you know, so you went from having like, um, you know, your Pearl Jams and your Nirvanas and your Sound Gardens and all those guys that, you know, had this really super dirty, grungy sound in the beginning, and then it evolved. And then it, it, the record labels started polishing it off, and these guys start playing to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people all over the planet and, you know, millions of people, you know, all over. So... Longtime fans of Metallica can watch that entire process in one band. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 it's so funny how almost every Metallica fan can stop stop you in mid conversation and say everything up to the Black album was awesome. <laughs> right, <laughs> <laughs> the Black album is where they cut their hair and they sold out. <laughs> yeah, I actually did like the Black album. I did too. Anyone. I did too. You know, I, they they lost me after that. I, th- I think I liked uh, a couple of tracks off of Fuel, but like, yeah, there, there's some sporadic ones in there. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, there's a definite <laughs> difference. And I mean that you know, Metallica is really is a good example to to put to that. I mean, if you if you listen to their you know, 80s stuff versus they're not 80s stuff. <laughs> right, right. I mean, there's there's a marked difference in the, the sound, and, and some of it's the way it was recorded, but not all of it. I mean, there's, you know, they, they would have these, you know, guitar solos going on for minutes at a time and it's just shredding and these unorthodox kind of song structures and stuff. Yep. And then at a certain point, they're like, okay, we kind of need to do the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, blah, blah, blah thing if we want to get radio play or whatever, if we want to get album sales. And and, I mean, I hate to say that as a Metallica fan, but they're a band where you can really just watch this happen by listening to their discography. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, At Oral Candy Net from Twitter says that uh, I posted, what does the underground mean to you? He says it means integrity, uniqueness, self-expression, love for music, and the craft over fame and fortune. Being an educator, not a jukebox. I, I can I can appreciate 
that. Um, I think one of the misconceptions that people have is that pop culture is inherently bad and it's, and it's not, you know, I mean, like you, like you just said, good music is good music. And yeah, just because something is pop does not mean it's bad music. It's just not for everybody. Right. And and, you're not going to convince me that Michael Jackson didn't make amazing music or Janet Jackson or, or Taylor Swift. (laughs) Mm. But <laughs> Creep. <laughs> no, seriously though. Like so I think that's that's a misconception that a lot of people have because when you come into the underground, you know, there are those things like integrity and um I'm sorry, what else did they say? Integrity, uniqueness, self-expression, love for music and the craft over fame and fortune. Yeah, and and so those are definitely things that you find probably more readily um, because once you do make it into the mainstream, then, yeah, there is that money. There is that fame. There is that expectation that you're going to smooth off the edges so that you can sell a product. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the underground, there there is that more... Mm, you know, no, this is me and I'm pushing it out Rather to Rather stay outside of the box. Right, right, yeah. right. So it's because that's what brought them there. Yeah. Right. Right. So I, I think that you'll find that a lot of people do band together around that because it's a smaller if it's a smaller scene and you've found something that you connect with a little bit better than anything else that's out there, then it becomes more familial. It's definitely know? smaller on a grand scale, but it's not technically small. Right. Right. I guess it's just as big as the world. Small. At Latrell Jamar fourteen says uh, what the what the underground means to him, where music meets pure and sheer excellence slash creation. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I see what he's getting at because the que- the question wasn't what is the underground; it was what does the underground mean to him. Yeah, that's so definitely, I was going to say that's a personal opinion. Yeah, that's. And I think he's kind of speaking to what we were getting at with the the pop sensibilities thing. There's there's a sense of purity i think of being able to keep it underground because you're you're not watering down for a particular audience you're playing what your audience wants to hear to your audience so so pop music star said pop music star has not made top 100 no fame no nothing still coming up is that pop artist underground in a sense so are you are you saying before they blow up or you see what i'm saying because if it's if if, or if it's the same exact music, whether or not. That's they what have I'm saying is it's the style of music that's not yeah. underground. Yeah. So as like, opposed to the artist. So if I, if me as as and kind of unknown, just uh, just a dude, if I go to to Dayton Studios and record a track, and it's, I mean, line for line, it could have been, you know, I can't feel my face or or a Michael Jackson song or whatever, if I were able to do that and pull that off, so your point is, is it still underground? Is it based on the sound or is it based on the attitude or the intent? That's, that's, that's kind of my question. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's a very valid point. Cause some, a lot of the people, especially on Facebook kind of were making that distinction, you know, what's, some people would say it's it's the output, and some people say no, it's it's the attitude. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure. I mean, we could 
I, I feel like we should have a punk rock expert in here right now because <laughs> I mean, this is like a perfect topic yeah. for them. Yeah. But yeah, that's 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 definitely a valid point. Let me see. Um, for me, I think my my personal opinion, I think it, it's more of an intent and attitude thing. Like if your intention is to be a pop star, then you are inherently rejecting underground. You know, so you're if you're that's your intent, you know, if you want to be the next Taylor Swift or the next Ed Sheeran or the next, you know, whoever, um, you know, top 100 billboard artist, then that's what you're aspiring to do. Whereas I think a lot of underground artists um, or and underground scene, I think a lot of times that gets pulled from. The, you know, in the mainstream. So, in the, like, in the EDM world, would we call EDM pop? Well, I was just gonna make that point because the, I mean, they're nowadays that it's a really gray area mm-hmm. because now we've got like, where do you put Skrillex? Where do you put Dead Mouse? Like acts like that because they're not really your typical pop artists and they're not making typical pop music, especially Skrillex. Right. You know, but they've got this mainstream audience now and they've got this appeal, but they've all, you know, Dead Mouse and Skrillex especially, they've they've really embraced that what I was talking about with the nerd culture thing. Mm-hmm. And you can see that, you know, they bring like old eight and sixteen bit video game stuff into the mix and they right. you know, their anime and all that stuff, all that nerdy stuff, they've made part of their personal brand. And so it's at what point is it underground? At what point is it pop? And where where are we at with that now? It's it's kind of a weird in between, it seems. Yeah, I, I've had um, you know, at a lot of the shows that I do in Columbus, um, you know, I have a chance to talk to a lot of those college kids and and that are really big into the EDM world. And you know, when I'm having conversations with them. They ask me what I think about the music, you know, do I like it, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know, I can appreciate it. It's not my thing. I, I, I say exact words. I'm more into the underground side of things. And they're, 80% of responses I get are, oh, you mean house and techno? Hmm. You know, so <laughs> is, is, it, is house music and techno underground, EDM not? Like, That's interesting. Yeah, I think to answer your question, I would absolutely put, people like Skrillex and Dead Mouse um, into the pop category. You know, I mean, we're talking about people who have won Grammys. We're talking about people or have been nominated for. But at what point did they become pop acts? Where, like, was was the sure. music they're making that before the Grammys versus the music they're making now any different, which was underground and which was pop? I think, I, I think what happened was is guys like that, I don't know them or their insight on it, um, but I would if I had to make an educated guess or even an uneducated guess, I would say um, that they were at the right place at the right time when EDM started to blow up because of, as we've talked about before, the infusion of cash that came in from corporate America, you know, so you had all of a sudden, you know, these festivals that, you know, blew up and, and all of the, the marketing and cash and everything that came up behind all of this. And while they embraced all of that, you know, and built their brands and, and I don't think that 
any of them worked any less harder than the other or any other un- underground artist out there. Now, I, you know, that could be questionable for some people today. You know, I, you know, there, if you watch a Steve Aoki show, you know, I mean, strictly speaking, it's, it's not that impressive from a, from a DJ technical standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, there's a stage presence there that, that he's got and, and an attitude. That not everyone can do. Right, exactly. But, you know, most of the, the live shows that I see on YouTube and all that mm-hmm. stuff floating around, he mixes the last 32 to the next 32, <laughs> and it's usually the most minimal 32, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> there's not a whole lot of creative DJing going on there. But for the type of music that he plays, it doesn't have to be. But that's that's the type of music that the masses are into. So as that whole groundswell came up, well, those are the guys that were in the middle of all of this. So that's that's what made them pop artists. Did they get into it to be, become pop artists? I don't know. But because of the the level of popularity of that music right now, that's that's where they are, whether they want to be considered that or not. The thing that, that kind of gets me hung up on like like Skrillex is a great example because I Skrillex kind of blew up with you know like linearly along with that whole bubble right so oh, he was yeah. he was part of that that dubstep swell. yeah yeah for sure but he didn't he didn't become a pop star by by utilizing pop sensibilities i don't think he he became a pop star by exploiting the sound of what was already a subculture. I mean, he, you know, he was one of these people that took, took dubstep to its most extreme iteration. Yep. And, and that was what made him, I say exploit. Somebody's going to send me hate mail for that, but (laughs) you know what I mean? Like took that and, and made it its most extreme form of itself. Sure. Sure. And that was what popularized him, which is weird because that's not the typical way to get, on a radio station right. is to go underground AF <laughs> instead of right. adding pop element. I mean, he did add some poppy elements and song structures to the songs, but it's, it, I mean, you don't hear scary monsters and sprites or whatever the song is and think, Oh yeah, this is like a song that my parents would have listened to on the radio. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's, no, ju- I- it's just a weird anomaly to me that it's an inter- interesting uh, sign of the times. It's just, it's a, sure. a much different climate now. Agreed. And, and I mean, and we can dissect anybody on a case by case basis, but I mean, it, that is definitely a, a, a good anomaly to, to look at. But overall, especially with the rise of dubstep, you know, come 2008 ish, I think. You know, then all of a sudden you started to see and hear a lot of those types of elements in pop songs. I mean, I can remember, I don't remember the exact title, but I mean, it was a Britney Spears song where like the whole breakdown was essentially a bro step track, you know, just, Mm, you know, it was just, but it was just used as a, you know, a breakdown or a bridge or something. and, And then, you know, it goes back to full on Britney. But after that, then all of a sudden you start seeing it more. And then you start hearing all of those like sound design elements and and beat structures and commercials for cars and shampoo and stuff. (laughs) Like, well, we could probably rewind this all the way back to like uh, days go by on the Mitsubishi commercial. Oh yeah, oh yeah, which was what oh one oh two oh three maybe yeah, Yeah. dirty Vegas. Yeah, yeah. 
So hydrogen rockers back then. <laughs> Check our Instagram account for a little blip on that. I've got a little clip I just posted a couple days ago. Nice. Uh, Terry Haymore goes by Fat Soul on Facebook. He says some people describe underground based up, based upon popularity and not necessarily style of music. Do quote underground artists and DJs want their music to be? Uh, excuse me, want their music to remain underground or for it to be listened and exposed to as many people as possible, thus no longer being underground? Or is it just their style of music that hasn't caught on to the mainstream yet? You know, that's a good point, too, because I can remember having conversations with, you know, DJs, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago when I first started out and or at least was was on my come up and all of a sudden, you know, we're having all these conversations amongst each other where, you know, we've got, you know, clubs that, you know, we're packing out with, you know, three, four, five hundred people, raves that are, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred people on average and all that stuff. And, you know, as good as all of that felt, we still felt small. And it was one of those things where it was like, how great would it be if the whole damn world understood this and embraced it and, you know, we we could, you know, build something so much bigger than this. And that was a common thread that I felt through, I'd say, 70% of people that I talked to um, about that subject when you got on it. Some people were like, absolutely not, you know, and, and maybe they had better insight, you know, to what happens when something goes mainstream and the edges get, you know, get white, get rubbed off and, and smoothed over. But, you know, the rest of us were like, you know, no, but we want to share this. Like, we want to make it bigger. We want it to do this and we want it to do that and blah, blah, blah. You know, so I, I, I feel like everybody who loves something wants to share it or most people, you know, and, and when you want to share something, you do want that to get out to more people. So does it make it less underground if it hits more people? Again, I think it's kind of the the subjective, you know, underground versus pop, you know, yeah. comparison. But I think that another point to kind of be made here is that it's kind of uh, related to where you are, too, because the nineties are a great example. Uh, what we considered underground music is not what a lot of places in Europe considered underground music. Right, they had right. stuff charting and playing on the radios over there <laughs> that we would still not play over here. Right. So our underground is somebody else's pop. So yeah. there is something to be said for just the yeah. amount of representation that a sound has in a particular format or geographic location or whatever. Right. Right. So maybe maybe what really determines whether or not it's underground is how underrepresented it is. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Reggie Davenport, that's DJ Purple from a few episodes ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, he, uh, he made an awesome post in response to this. He said, for me, the underground is a flavor and feel that can't be described in a sentence or even a paragraph. It's an experience. It's a sound. It's a perception. It's a musical attitude that maintains its flavor even after it becomes accepted by a larger audience. I like yeah. the musical attitude. That, mm-hmm. I, I, I like that description a lot. I, when, I, when, it, when I think about underground music or even techno as opposed to EDM or big room, whatever, I feel like techno 
needs a more mature ear. You know, it takes a mature mind, more of an open mind to understand it and to give it time, you know, to understand it. Today, everything is so here and now and instant gratification to where they don't give that style of music the opportunity or the time to understand it because it takes a lot longer for that music to really go somewhere. Yeah. You know, and once you get through the whole set and you understand it and you go through the whole experience, now you're like, holy shit, I get it. And people aren't used to uh, it taking more than two minutes to get a song. Right. I mean, some of these, music. some of these sets, you know, and these DJs that we like, I mean, it'll take 30 minutes into a set before it really starts to get going into to something, you know, or you, yeah. and, now the patience, patience is, and that's another conversation that I had with um, a kid up in Columbus. You know, I feel like the younger generation are losing a lot of their patience because they get everything right here and right now, and that's the way the music is. Is you know, mm-hmm. and the the stuff that I enjoy, the techno, the tech house, and all that type of stuff. You know, we know it takes a while for it to progress into something. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, there there really seems to be kind of two sides to this. There's the the representation of the sound as as far as how its its level of popularity or or whatever, and then it's there's the attitude side of it, the approach, the you know how how punk rock are we being here? You know, I right. keep coming back to that. I mean, it's um, and I I think that when I said purity earlier i think that's what it really comes down to for people who really want to quote keep it underground it's they want to keep the sound pure you know and we're we're here because we like this sound and if you take it out of our underground you're going to have to change it to make it uh accessible to somebody else and at, at what point is it no longer what it was accessible and acceptable yeah I think one of the problems that I have with that, though, is that, I mean, as much as I love, you know, the music that I started out on and, you know, the the days of, you know, the raves when I started and all of that, <coughs> excuse me, um, I think the biggest problem that I have with that is that if, if something doesn't progress or if something does not change or if it's not ever exposed to anything different, then it becomes stale. And, you know, you may always have this great point. this very small group of people that, you know, to your point, yeah, keep it pure, don't ever share it with anybody, and I don't ever want it to change. Okay, well, then fine. You're going to stay like that small group, and if that's what you're happy with, and things never, ever change, you know, okay, fine. But, like, look at drum and bass, for example. Like that, you know, we just did a, an episode on that. And you can tell just from the conversation with Jack how much uh, drum and bass has changed just in the, what, 20, 25 years that it's been around. And that may sound like, you know, a lifetime to some of our listeners because, you know, some people are only 25 years old. But, (laughs) you know, Um, but if you listen to early jungle techno and, and drum and bass and listen to it today, vastly different. But, you know drum and bass is still considered at least here in the states a very underground scene it's not your main room stuff at all can we take a moment to talk about what are the problems that are kind of inherent to an underground scene what problems does it cause and what does it struggle with 
for example, um, people who tend to get too hung up on, uh, on this idea of keeping it underground can very easily become so staunch and pretentious in that standpoint that they miss out on great music or they perhaps don't enjoy music that they would because they're just their head is in that place to where they're so strict about what they what they do and don't like uh, reject anything that somebody else has heard before kind of thing. <laughs> the problem i i think once something becomes cool a lot of people start coming for the wrong reasons and then it completely changes the whole dynamic yeah you know what i mean it's it's um you know even going to these shows and i don't even want to compare music but i'll compare you know, the crowd that would go see an EDM show as opposed to a crowd that goes to an underground show. You know, these kids had EDM or, you know, any electronic music not become popular, they wouldn't be there. But because it's popular, it's... They automatically have a weird, like, preconceived notion of what that scene is. Yeah, it changes the whole dynamic because... Let's face it, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been in a, in a rave jumping up and down. You know what I mean? You'd, you'd, you'd be grooving, you'd be dancing, but you wouldn't just be like, you know. Staring at the stage, at the DJ. At the like, DJ waiting for just that one headliner to come on, and then you jump up and down, like, and that's really all you do. It's, it's right. like now that it's become more popular, a lot of the people, again, come for the wrong reasons. So... What happens when it's not popular anymore? Right. You know what I mean? Those people that that don't come around anymore, are they going to veer off and come towards enjoying techno or liking techno? Is you know what I mean? It, it's I think it's fair to make a hip hop comparison here too, because if you you know, hip hop's origins are, are very much underground anti-establishment right um i mean even in their entire approach to making music Mm -hmm. is what you don't have to sing on a record you can still make a record without singing and using vocals you don't have to play an instrument you know and so it completely changed the the climate of how they perceived producing music Mm -hmm. and then you know something happened towards the end of the 90s after what probably all of us call a golden era of right. hip hop, right? To where I mean, you can hear like even when you know in the early to mid '90s, hip hop was huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was massive, but it was still very underground in a lot of ways. I mean, the they weren't holding back on the lyrics. That you know they didn't care. In back then, it was hard to get radio play for stuff that was the content wasn't so pc would it be okay if right now i dropped the intro to hit him up by tupac that's why i think joe helps you fat for them i was gonna say when you say the intro (laughs) take money (laughs) yeah but like that's what i'm saying like at some point the, like the lyricism was still there, the right. flow was still there, right. the attitude was still Absolutely. there, the grit was still there, yeah. all the way up till like the end of the '90s, and and as we approached the new millennium, it well, started becoming a lot more pop oriented, which which is fine. But right. then, I mean, you can just watch it to like compare what's coming out on the radio right now to mm-hmm. what was coming out in the '90s. Yeah. It's at least as big as it was in the '90s, but something's happened to it. Well, to where it's like you don't even have to be making 
intelligent words that make any sense. Well, you it, know, and it's 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 a weird kind of it, okay. It's definitely not underground anymore. <laughs> was it still underground in the '90s, even though it was still mega popular because um, of that attitude and uh, that approach? If your definition of underground is is attitude, then I would absolutely say you know to your, all of those. I mean, it was big qualities. business. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, all those qualities and traits that you threw out there, though. I mean, uh, those were you know the the grit, especially. That's a great word for it. I mean, it was it was all there. Um, I think if 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 we're gonna go down that road for just a second, I think what happened was Biggie and Tupac being killed. Yeah. And after that, then kind of everybody took a step back and go, "Whoa, maybe this is a little too real." Yeah, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> and, and East I mean, West Coast stuff. Yeah, and I mean, we're 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 talking specifically about the gangster rap, you know, faction of hip hop at that time. Um, but it was ninety seven, ninety eight. Oh yeah. Right then when it. All of a sudden, yeah. Then all of a sudden, you the got Ja Rule and yep. all those guys. You know, Cash Money. Yeah, all, all these guys that start. You know, I don't. I don't want to say they started watering down their message, but they they definitely changed the delivery. And you know, it it was which might be it might be fair to say that it needed to happen. I mean, it it got a little crazy. It got a little hairy there towards the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I I won't dispute that, but you know, over the last you know fifteen years. You know, now we've evolved, or in my opinion, devolved, you know, popular rap to the point where I don't even understand what some of these guys are saying because there's so much freaking um, uh, auto-tune all over their voices. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't understand what they're saying. It, and and, the, and what, what you can understand, of course, you know, it, the, the, the lyricism just isn't there. And that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, you can listen every year in hip hop. There's like some mega kind of sound or trick that's exploited for the next twelve or fifteen big hits on the radio. Yeah, yeah. And then the next year they do the same thing. You know, the the one year it was auto tune with the, the whole T Pain effect. Right, right. And then you know now it's like the the trap stuff came in. You yeah. know, from the EDM side, and yep. then. It didn't come in from the EDM side, but you know what I mean. Right, like right, the, right. the two kind of merged together, and then you had all these like chopped up beats and yep. drills and all that kind of stuff. So you can you can hear it, and I I think that's what really makes the difference for me is it's not underground anymore when you're just blatantly obviously beating a dead horse for <laughs> for whatever you can get out of it. Well, it, and then moving on to the next sound that you can exploit. Like I I know that hip hop is always well, not always, but in recent history, been based around money and how much you can make. But at, at a certain point, it's like, okay, you're, this is like you're not even trying to hide it. You're just <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I think that's why I, I really respect artists like uh, Kendrick Lamar. Like, I yeah. mean, where the, I mean, every so often, you know, you get just that that one breakthrough artist that just comes through and 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 says, okay, hold up, and then breaks the mold and you know i saw i saw something maybe last week or it was right after the grammys or something like that but you know this uh meme was making its way around that said kendrick lamar is everything that kanye should have been (laughs) (laughs) uh, or it said what uh kanye should have been but uh, he got or the Kardashians got a hold of him or something. Like that. 
So, yeah, I mean, hip hop is hip hop. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons that I don't even listen to radio rap anymore, because things did take that that severe left turn in Albuquerque, you know, and it just like. So now when I listen to hip hop, I listen to the underground stuff or at least the not so mainstream mainstream stuff. You know, I mean, Rhyme Sayers being just the the quintessential underground hip hop. Um, You know, it might be worth mentioning here, too, that it's uh, nowadays it's probably harder to define something as underground because back in the day you had geographic separation and we weren't all wired to everyone in the world 24 seven. Right. And now we are. So what does that, what does underground even mean when we all have access to the same music? We all have, we're all in touch with with each other and one thing goes viral and everyone in the world knows about it. So it's, you know, because to me, the new, the new underground is kind of, so let's take hip hop for instance, acts like, uh, Oh man, what what was that? Uh, he was a freestyle. He he was always doing freestyle competitions. He's a white guy, and he uh, Mac Mac Miller, not Mac Miller, Mac um, Lethal, Mac Lethal. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah, where he's he's learned how to use new media to promote himself. So he he does those like uh, like cooking raps and all the different kinds of raps, mm-hmm. and posts them on right. YouTube right. And, and like with all these viral effects. But he's got a killer flow, and he knows what he's doing, and he's an actual artist. Oh yeah! So he's learned how to do. Same with um, Hobson, you know. He's learned how to. Basically, you go where where the kids are, uh, as far as now technologically, which right now is Instagram, Snapchat, and in two years will be something else. Right. So you go there, you promote to those kids. That's the new underground, at least for a while. Because it keeps the older crowd out. So you at least do have some separation there. Whereas once you get to a certain level, everybody knows everything about you, you know, or you're seen or you're underground. I I think that's fair to say. Um, I will say with with one caveat, though, I, I, I think... Going back to your point about geographical location, though, I think that's still a big thing because I I can remember probably 08, 09, maybe even a little bit before, somewhere in that area, I started playing Glitch Hop. And I played Glitch Hop everywhere. And back then, Glitch Hop was a lot more avant-garde. Like, mm-hmm. it was not, you know, your your more song structured and okay. So it's got some glitchy elements to it and, you know, some wobbly respaces and stuff before pretty lights and grammatic and such were household names. Um, they were definitely on their, on their come up. Like if, if you were looking at anybody, you know, as the pinnacle of it, like, yeah, those guys had already made it or, uh, definitely pretty lights, you know, grammatic was probably on, on his, but your, your parents hadn't hadn't heard him yet. Right. Right. (laughs) And every time I played the stuff out, people would come up. I really wish you would go back to playing, you know, X, Y, and Z genres that uh, people have known me to play for, you know, Mm. the 10 years before that. And I'm like, right. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll, I'll play some sets like that, but like, you know, I'm trying to bring something new too. like, you know, I'm trying to educate my cities, 
you know, because I was still playing, you know, I play all over the, you know, in Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus, whatever. But I'm trying to educate my region that, guess what? There's more than just house and techno. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's fair, too. I mean, that just because it's a little more varied now doesn't mean that each city or major geographic location doesn't have its own flavor. Right, right. I mean, we... You can go to Detroit and listen to trance or whatever you want, but Detroit's a very techno city. Very much so. And you're yeah. not going to have trouble finding it there. Right. So and at there, the time, I mean, it still plays a role for sure. Right. And at the time, you know, the the whole glitch hop thing, when I started playing it, everybody knew that your top artists were either in um, the west coast of Canada and Colorado. Mm. Like, you know, that's just where they were. And then all of a sudden, Australia jumps on that on that bandwagon too. And or maybe not even a bandwagon, but they, you know, started their own. I mean, that's where Adapted Records is. And they are, other than Simplified, those are the two main glitch hop, you know, record labels. So yeah, so me, little old me playing this stuff in Dayton, Ohio, and everybody's going, I wish you'd play something different. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's kind of crazy because now... You know, there's entire crews, you know, in this region that 90% of the DJs on those crews are playing Glitch Hop. Or as it's kind of evolved into now, it's not even called Glitch Hop for the most part. It's mostly called bass music. Yeah. You know, and it's that, you know, 110 to 120, you know, hip hop sounding or hip hop beat structure with, you know, your Reese bass lines and, you know, all of the kind of glitchy stuff. But, you know, it's that goes back to my point saying before it's cool, right? Right, right. You know, that's, that's a good way to describe underground, I guess. Before sure. it's cool, before it becomes the end thing, I guess. and sometimes after it's cool. Mm-hmm. As I mean, you know, you can watch various sects of electronic music come and go, you know, wax and wane, and there's always some core group of underground people. We've seen it here in Dayton. Oh, yeah. That even if there's just a few, that we're still there. You know, this after the nuclear bomb goes off, the cockroaches are still there. <laughs> we're still hanging just out, like <laughs> <laughs> just like roaches. Just like roaches. You song. Um, any other points you guys want to bring up? No. Uh, maybe just that. While the underground is is something that all of us love. Uh, don't ever take things too seriously, you know. Agree. Always keep yourself open-minded, not just to other genres, other styles, other other sounds, um, but just remember that the only thing that's constant in life is change. So in order for anything to progress, sometimes it needs to change. Mm. And if you don't change with the times, well, then, you know, you come back to this, ultra small group of purists that for all intent and purposes, that's, that's what you are. And, and eventually that just kind of withers away into oblivion. Um, the mainstream for as much contempt as some people have for it kind of drives change at times, you know, because as, as things in the underground gain popularity and the mainstream knows that it has to change. You know, that's, I mean, you can watch the Billboard Top 100 for the last 50 years. You know, things change. And where do they get their 
where do they get their inspiration from whatever is on the bleeding edge and what's on the bleeding edge? It's the underground. So as they grab stuff from us, we got to keep going and, and do something different as well. So, you know, I just, I love the underground. I, I even love the underground today. I still love it today as much as I loved it, you know, when I first got into it 16, 17 years ago. And is it the same? Absolutely not. There, you know, everything from the attitude to the music, everything is different now. But I don't think that Egyptian Lover said it real good too. Everybody's got a camera on their cell phone, and you said it. Everybody's plugged in, so right. Yeah, we're all wired all the time, right? And there's it's it's kind of an anti underground attitude and approach, right? I mean, the the whole rave thing was based around autonomy and getting away from the real world mm. at least as i understand it i don't want to speak as if i was there yeah. for, for no very peak, much so but yeah very much so um from what i experienced of the remnants of that mm-hmm. um you know it's it's a place to go and like you said be be accepted and and do your thing and kind of let go and get away from the cares of the world and it's hard to get away from the cares of the world when we're all <laughs> locked in, you know, logged in 24-7 and we have stuff strapped to our wrists and in our pockets that are keeping us locked in all the time. Oh, yeah. It's very hard to show up anywhere in a leotard with, you know, <laughs> sparkles sprayed all over your face and, you know. Trust can- me. <laughs> and candy bracelets and clown shoes with fairy wings and not end up on YouTube, you know, like, I yeah. mean. Or Facebook's worst dressed at movement. Right, right. You know? And now people do it because they can get on YouTube. Right, right. Go viral or whatever, which is. Counter to counter, the whole idea of what it idea. what it started out as, for sure. Yeah. I think I'm going to close the episode with a comment from Brian Luth, DJ Blues. He's submitted before. Um, Thanks for sending this in, Brian. He says, man, this hits close to home. I've always supported the underground from my early hip-hop days in the 90s to the house in the 2000s to the bass scene today out here in the Bay Area. Ostensibly, I'd define it as art or music, which is up and coming and hasn't grown into mass market popularity, but... If that excludes anything which is popular or in some way commercially successful or or is in some way commercially successful, that definition may be lacking because I happen to like a lot of hit records too. I recall an interview with Mystic Journeyman in which they said that they defined it as just being honest. Quote, if you're being honest with your craft, that's really underground. Amen to that. Folks, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Passionate DJ Podcast. Um, if you guys like what we had to say today, you appreciate the underground and the approach and the, uh, the sort of stories that we told today, if I could ask one favor of you guys, go to iTunes. Those of you who are, used, are uh, subscribed on iTunes, go and leave us an honest review on iTunes. Um, just give us a sentence or two. Tell everybody what you think of the show, good, bad, or indifferent. We could really use your reviews. I don't ask for stuff like this too often, so... Hopefully you guys will be willing to go out there to really help out the show. So thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next time. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ With Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning. Uh.